they search for identity, that which uh, suits best to this uh, real self that you're discovering. If you know yourself well enough, then you discover what you are best suited for, and then that is what makes you happiest, too. Self-actualization uh, means the making real of the inner self, and that means what you love, what you're interested in, what excites you, what fascinates you, and that is the cause outside yourself, which paradoxically then becomes a defining characteristic of the self. Welcome to the Maslow Peak Podcast, presented by Spring State Media Group. I'm your host, Brett Griffin, and our guest today is Emmy-nominated film and TV editor Ed Green. He's worked on a few TV shows you've probably heard of, uh, most recently BattleBots, but also Deadliest Catch, Project Runway, Axemen, Storage Wars, Ice Road Truckers, the list goes on and on. Full list of his work can be found on the Internet Movie Database at imdb.me slash editor. I've known Ed and his wife, Sue, for about 10 years. He's an all-around great guy, great father. Very deadpan and incisive sense of humor. Extremely bright, and best of all, he's a fierce friend. Every time we get together, we pick up right where we left off. Ed, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So for folks that don't know or think they have an idea of what a TV editor does, what does a TV editor do? A TV editor is handed a lot of footage, and he has to go through it and try to make sense of it and try to make it into something compelling and something that fits into a specific running time. That's the basic main thing. Okay. And how did you originally get into this? I went to film school, and like most people who go to film school, I wanted to be Steven Spielberg. Director, right. And when I got there, I realized that I didn't really like working in the field. I didn't like going to film shoots. It was just much too stressful for me. Okay. Too much unpredictability. Though what I really liked was getting the footage and trying to figure out how to tell a story once it's been, once it had been shot. Okay. So I fell in love with editing in film school. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Now I actually had this question saved for later, but since you kind of touched on this, I think we'll get into this now. So the director shoots everything. The director relatively responsible for the creative process, the vision. The director hands it off to you to be edited into a final product. You wouldn't have gotten into this unless you were interested in the storytelling, like you're kind of talking about here. Um, what do you view as your appropriate level of involvement in how the story and the narrative gets crafted? I mean, how much does all that play together? Your professional opinion versus the director's creative vision versus the producer's input, You know, especially in reality TV where things might not um, be as they seem. You know, how does all that kind of factor together into the final product? It, it really depends on the project, uh, but usually the type of TV I work on, the editing is, is a crucial component mm -hmm. um, because they just, they just roll the cameras. They just shoot and shoot and shoot. And right. you could tell many different stories. You could pick many different, uh, you know, er different angles to take. You know, the editor is given a lot of freedom and a lot of input. Mm -hmm. And responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you usually work alongside a producer. We, we'll call them story producers okay. often. And, um, you know, it, it's you collaborate with them to make the scenes. And then 
as you keep working, you'll get notes from higher ups and you address those and, you know, it's, it goes on and on until you have a, a finely shaped final show. Mm -hmm. So the story producer, are you sitting literally in the bay with this person crafting this story and, oh yeah, these people feuded the whole time. So we really want to get a lot of that in there. Or are you kind of picking that up or is that those notes coming from above that you're kind of trying to build some of that? I have worked on projects where I actually shared the edit bay with a story producer. Mm -hmm. uh, that hasn't been the case in a while, and that can be a good thing or a bad thing. I've, I've been l very lucky in that I've had great story producers that I enjoyed being around, mm -hmm. so it was never a problem sharing space with them. Mm -hmm. But you're given kind of an overall outline from the executive producer and the supervising story producer, and you kind of run with that, and you kind of build it. To try to, f to try to fit that overall mm -hmm. picture. How much leeway do you have to pass notes up the food chain? Like, I don't know if you guys saw this in the dailies, but I think this is really interesting. I think we should pursue this. Uh, usually, the environment I'm in, that's that's people get excited about that. Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll be happy to if you have something you strongly believe in and you want to show them. They they're they're actually they like it hmm. for the most part. Uh, because everyone's just trying to make the best show. Right. See, this is really interesting, and this is part of why I like doing these, because most people out there probably think editing is it's the director's job to shoot it and tell the story they want to tell, and it's your job to cut it together and put it into the finished product. And it's interesting to hear your role in helping craft that narrative. I, I don't think a lot of people really understand that. That's really cool. Any particular horror stories from this process of battles you had with story producers or higher up producers about something they wanted that you weren't interested in being a part of or weren't interested in helping tail, you know, that you didn't think that was necessarily reflective of what happened? Hmm. Horror stories. I can't say I've been horrified, but I've been, <laughs> there have been, it's uh, not that I'm mad, it's <laughs> that I'm disappointed. <laughs> I've, I have been very blessed with what I've worked on and that I've, I've for the most part worked with very reasonable people. Okay. And very just very nice people. They they understand uh, we're all on the same team. It's there's been two or three times when I've worked with someone who doesn't respect what I do because they think it's the other thing. Like, hey, cut this together. Yeah, you know, they, scissor they think I'm a button per right, pusher. Right. And they don't they don't respect your time, and they don't respect how long things can take. Mm -hmm. uh, and they've been kind of dictators okay. and, and those have been frustrating situations that they've been very few of them, luckily. Um, so that was a couple times that's been very frustrating. Um, my last project overall was a very good experience. Um, but it was interesting because I was really invested mm -hmm. in the show and I was invested in how, which way, which direction it took it. We were, I was on from, the beginning of it, helping okay. to shape it. And which show is this? Uh, I can't. I can't actually talk about it. Okay. Uh, I can still in, in the works. It's still in the works. Okay. Okay. That's totally it, fair. It is about religious cults. Oh wow. Uh, and I wanted it to go a certain way, and it was interesting, you know, to see that your way doesn't always make make it. Hmm. Um, and sometimes the shows go a totally different way, and it's out of your hands. Right. Um, the higher ups want it to be something different. Hmm. And so that's an interesting thing to deal with. It, it can be very frustrating, but you just you just have to, you know, you have to buck up and, and keep going and, and just 
hope that you can still, even if you don't, if you're not as thrilled about which way the project's going, you still ha can have input and still, you know, do your job mm -hmm. and, and make it as good as it can be mm -hmm. for what it's going to be. So it's really, I think it could be really great. I just think it was a lot, you know, it's a lot of different people with different ideas. Right. And I just hope there's cohesion now in what. Is this pro and anti or is it all anti? You mean anti-cult? Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty much anti. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's it's complicated. Do you see that Amanda Knox documentary on Netflix? I haven't. I'm, I'm, I haven't watched it yet either, but it's it's trying to tell on both sides. Like it's supposedly it's edited to be like, oh yeah, she definitely didn't. Oh no, she's definitely innocent. Like, and it's trying to tell on both sides at the same time. And I, I, w I wondered if you'd seen it. Oh no. Yeah. Um, I haven't watched it yet either. Yeah. The thing about this show is, and the biggest challenge is to try to create empathy for, for people who get sucked into cults. Oh, right. Cause it's so easy to dismiss them and you kind of want to dismiss them. You're like, Oh, you were just weak or you're just crazy or you were just empty and looking for something. And you know, that's the, that was the biggest challenge was, and I think that's a valuable thing to try to do with the show is try to help people understand why people get in in the first place. Any stories about Alan Smithy? <laughs> um, it, for those of you that don't know, um, Alan Smithy is a name that gets slapped on projects that someone in the creative process didn't necessarily agree with how it turned out. So if the director doesn't feel like it turned out the way they envisioned because of interference from the producers or the studio, the director will decline to put his name on it and then it will be the director in the credits would be Alan Smithy. I, I did actually a couple years ago. I, I was on it. Now that, now that you're mentioning this, it reminds me a couple years ago, I sent an email to my production, post production supervisor asking them to remove my name from a show. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, because I just, I, I didn't agree with the way the final cut. Mm -hmm. I thought it, it, it had gotten ruined. I wasn't proud of it. And uh, I, I asked him to have my name removed. So, huh. Alan Smithy, so right here in front of me. Not that the very elusive <laughs> Alan Smithy. Not that t you know the TV credits go by so quickly. Right, it, it barely matters, but it was more like the principle of it. I just wanted people to be aware that I was not happy with the outcome, and uh, I, d I didn't feel like I was given a fair shake at trying to make it work. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so it does happen. Interesting. Uh, my last show, I was asked. The, the one about cults, I was asked if I wanted to have my name not on the credits because certain people might... Fear of reprisal. Might, might come <laughs> after me. So that was kind of a different thing. <laughs> Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> You've made a powerful, a very powerful enemy, my friend. <laughs> All right, so I feel a little bad, and I feel like I need to confess something to you. So we talked about BattleBots, and for me, BattleBots was the perfect DVR show because I could fast-forward through... 45 minutes of human interest stories and just see 15 minutes of robot battles. <laughs> so I feel really bad that now, now that I know that you put all this work into the show um, and I fast forwarded through 95% of it. <laughs> that's so quite I, right. that's I'm sorry, full, full disclosure. That's quite all right. That's, that's what TV's for. <laughs> fast forward through parts you don't like. Now I feel bad. Like now the first time I watch any show, I need to go through the credits <laughs> and make sure you're not in there. And if you are, I need to <laughs> watch the whole thing. Did you like the battles? Oh, the battles were incredible. That's that's all that's all that matters. The one that I thought was going to win the whole thing this season did not. The one that had the um, he had the pincher and he could flip himself over, and then he also had the drum on the other side. That was the one that I thought was going to take the whole thing, and I think he got knocked out in the quarterfinals. 
I don't remember the name because I never saw the names because I fast forwarded them all. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, but uh, well, I can't even remember anymore. Pinchy, pinchy drum flipper. That, <laughs> that's the one I thought was gonna win. So, um, so what's it like working on a show like that where there's so much action and you've got all these different angles? What's it like trying to cut that into something coherent for television? BattleBots is interesting because it's a live event and it was taped live and we have to edit it together and we can't be it can't be too polished because if you if you cut it too tightly and you polish it too much it loses its live feeling so it's a show where i feel like 80% of my focus was on audience sounds okay trying to get the audience it's really difficult to capture a live event. Right, right. Uh, and to get the audience right. Right, because if you cut to another part where the audience is more overtly clapping or whatever, that, that jars. It comes through. Yeah. Right, right. And, and you know, those events are really exciting when you're there. They're, they're super loud. People are super into it. And it's just trying to maintain that. That that mm. was our main goal, right? The energy, yeah. I I would say that came through. I mean, even because that's all I watched was the battles, <laughs> but I would say that definitely came through. Was you know seeing the people be excited about what's going on. Some of those battles were incredible. I mean, totally back and forth, and and the uh, the stuff in the cage pit. What they call it? The yeah, the the, the box. The box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, all the like the saw blades and the hammers and everything. That it was cool, and just not knowing when that stuff was going to happen. It was pretty neat. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. No, I I definitely enjoyed it. So how do you choose what you decide to work on? Do people throw projects your way, or do you work with uh, an agent or a manager that kind of guides you towards things they know you enjoy, or do you have enough equity that people come to you with things? Like kinda, you've kind of carved out this niche in reality that you've you know, had a lot of success with. Um, how do you end up going down this road, and then how do you kind of choose on what's next for you? It's, it's all based on reputation. Uh, a lot of it's just phone calls and emails. I don't have an agent. Uh, you just kind of use one job to springboard into the next. Okay. So every job you work, the way I look at it is every job, I have to do my best. Right. It's an audition for the next it's job. It's an audition right. for the next job. So It's a healthy way to look at it. And that's that's pretty much how it works. So I've been pretty blessed with, get you know, having good work experiences that led to more things. Hmm. Interesting. So when you meet new people and you tell them you're a TV editor, what's the most common reaction or most common question they have or besides what do you work on? Uh, they'll, some people will get really, they'll actually get kind of negative because I, I say I work in reality TV. Right. And I think that's fine if they want to do that. Um, but you know, there there is there reality TV is a broad genre that doesn't actually it's not accurate a lot of the times. Right. And some shows give it a really bad rap. After they find out what I work on, they usually ask me, "Is that true? Did this happen?" Oh yeah, yeah, do definitely. You, do you? I think the main question, I think the most asked question is, "Do you purposely make people look bad or drama or yeah, yeah?" yeah. So. And so we get asked that a lot. And the answer would be no, but maybe the story producers guide you that way? The answer is we make the story come come through in, in a clear way. You turn it up to 11 sometimes, <laughs> we though? We, we turn it up. Well, we do make everything come out. Mm -hmm. um, if someone's leaning towards being the bad guy, 
Right. Know? I mean, if you're willing to do that on camera, I would say that is your authentic self. Right. You know, unless you are trying to, you know, become famous or whatever. Yeah. I mean, we don't we don't put guns in people's hands right. or things like that. Now, do you encounter a lot of that where in the editing of the footage, it's clear this person is trying to get famous. It's clear this person is trying to see this as a platform to their next career and they they're acting acting the fool to try to amp up their personality or whatever not often because usually the shows i work on the people that are in the shows are already doing what they do right you're not working on the bachelorette or usually working on like the the house reality shows right i do do that once in a while and you know they're 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 very young and they're trying to build a persona around themselves kind of like project runway there's probably some of that on project runway i mean I gotta admit, Project Runway is one of my favorite TV shows. Just the the creativity behind it and how fast they turn these things out, I it's amazing to me. And people may make fun of me all they want. I love Project Runway. I love it too. It's one of my favorite shows to work on. Uh, I think it's a perfect format for a TV show. I don't think I'd ever get sick of watching it. Um, but and that hour it. and a half goes by fast. I mean, right. you, you, you guys got to cover so much in that hour and a half. It's amazing that you did all that in and did it done. And I just think... As long as they're talented people that are allowed to show off their talents, that's right. a, to me, that's always interesting. Right, and there's not really games, I mean, except some of the team challenges where people try to freeze people out or whatever. But for the most part, th- like, the cream rises in on that show. Like, definitely the people that the last four or five are all really talented, usually. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned film school. You went to film school. Um, obviously, you had this dream that that's kind of where you wanted to go. You talked about director being S- Steven Spielberg. Uh, is that what you wanted to be when you grew up, director, famous, telling stories? When I was little, that's what I wanted to be. Okay. And then when I was a teenager, that's what I wanted to be. And yes, so yes. For, uh, to a certain age, that's where I thought I should be. Was there a moment or a specific instance that you first realized that that was what you wanted to do? Um, like everyone has that one movie that they realize this is saying something and maybe maybe I don't understand it because I'm 14 or 15 but this is clearly more than you know the dumb action movies I usually watch you know like for me I remember that was the game by David Fincher oh I remember great just, movie I was like 14 or 15 and I watched it with my dad and I think he just rented it because it had Michael Douglas in it or whatever and I just remember being blown away by the story and how it twisted and turned and I don't know who David Fincher was I had no idea you know mm-hmm. and then right after that was American Beauty in mm-hmm. high school, and I remember just thinking, I don't think life is really like this, but the idea that this is what's going on in these people's garages or behind these you know, perfectly manicured roses, this idea is really interesting. And mm-hmm. there's something about this that really speaks to me, and I can't, un- I can't explain it. And I had one other friend, Michael Borges, if you're out there, uh, and we, we had both seen it, and I remember we talked about it and just how it seems so interesting, you know, and I, I don't really know what this is saying, but there's something interesting about this. Mm. Then I got to college and saw being John Malkovich, Requiem for a Dream, and it was like, I was all in at that point. Like, we wanted to find the weirdest, most obscure movies we could watch and watch them and see what they were trying to say. Mm-hmm. Was there one, like, do you remember that first movie that got, got its hooks in you? It would have to be... Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Oh, you mentioned Spielberg. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was obsessed with Spielberg. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Those are the movies that made me love movies. And then uh, I think the movie that made that inspired me to actually like try to pursue that was Dead Poet Society. Okay. 
Yeah. Because that movie is all about like going out and following your dreams. Right. And Common theme here on the podcast. If it's a crazy creative thing, like, you know, so that movie actually, not from, I mean, the filmmaking is amazing in that movie, but it was the message of that movie. Right. Inspired me to just choose, uh, choose things, don't, not choose the predictable things. Right. Like even which school I went to, uh, just to go for something different. Interesting. Interesting. So something I wanted to talk about was not necessarily internet culture, but how much we know now about how movies are made and the stories, the troubled productions, the stories of troubled productions and things like that. Um, one movie that comes to mind was Batman versus Superman, which I saw, I thought it was a mess, you know, tone pacing. I, I thought it was a mess all, all, all across the board, but it could have been and should have been really interesting, but we go into movies now knowing about these troubled productions. We know, about script rewrites, we know about reshoots, and we're going into these movies now with an idea of what we expect it to be based on what we know about how it was made. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in your thoughts on what that's doing to us as consumers of entertainment, and is that a good thing, is that a bad thing? You know, are, Does that put us in a place to demand more for our entertainment dollars? Or is this stifling creativity on the side of the directors and the people that make these movies? I'm interested in your thoughts kind of being on the other side of all that. Yeah, I think it's a little bit suffocating um, with the internet and the access to information. And it's actually gotten into TV, too. People now now know who showrunners are. Oh, yeah. And they follow who's running what show. And no one used to care about things like that. They just wanted the final product. Right. Uh, so I, a lot, w- like a lot of the internet, uh, things become a little too suffocating. There's there's so much information. People are so obsessed with every detail, if they choose to be. Um, you know, if there's a movie I really want to see, like uh, Arrival, is that the? Point? I saw Arrival last night, and it was profound. It will haunt me for the rest of my days. It's beautiful and moving and powerful, and I cried like a little girl. Boys can cry too. That's sexist. <laughs> so I, w- I really want to see that. I want to take Sue to see that. But I don't know anything about it uh, because I, I, I really want to see it. And I, I, don't wanna, I haven't watched a trailer. I haven't read a movie review. Uh, so I force myself not. If I know already that I'm going to see something, right. I, I don't read about it. I remember I did that with Inception. Like I liked Christopher Nolan's work, and I was interested in seeing what this wholly original idea how it was going to play mm-hmm. out. And I didn't want to know what happened. And I didn't want to know what the themes were. I just wanted to go in totally blind. Yeah, th- that's a great, great movie to do that with. I think I was the same way. I think I saw the teaser trailer and that was all I needed. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't read anything else. Uh, yeah, we live in a weird time in terms of movies because there's so much pressure on movies to make money. Uh, so a lot of movies end up being franchises or comic book properties. Right, right. And... It's interesting because there's a lot of like amazing filmmakers that are getting sucked up into that. Uh, instead of making their own movies, they're getting hired to m- make Star Wars to movies. To feed the machine. So it's now, a l- to be fair, I was really excited about the new Star Wars because it's kind of a mix of both. Like It's a universe that we know. It's a universe that we care about. But we're, the characters we're going to meet and the story that's going to be told is all brand new to us. We don't know what's going to happen, which some of these comic book movies... You know, if you're a fan of comic books, you know some of what they might do and how they're going to do it. Plus, you probably already read about what the plot was on the internet. You know, mm-hmm. I, I kind of embargoed myself 
against the star the new Star Wars because I wanted to go in blind and kind of have that unfold. Little did I know it was going to unfold exactly like <laughs> episode <laughs> episode four. Um, but it was still cool to see that happen, you know, and to uh-huh. go in not knowing about that. And I think that was a good mix of both, even though it is this giant Disney behemoth. Right, right. So in the production notes for our visit here, I asked for people's Twitter handles, and you wrote, and I quote, I want Twitter to die. Can you expand on that at all? <laughs> I think it's pretty clear. I, I want Twitter to die. <laughs> I, wanna, I want Facebook to die. <laughs> I just, I hope they die. <laughs> I think er- everyone's going to be better off when they die. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know if Snake Plissken's going to have to come and unplug Metal them. Metal Deer style. <laughs> but uh, we'll all be better off once we, we, we're, uh, those are dead. All so right. That's going to be my platform <laughs> when, I r- when I run for public office. The humanist Ludite pr- <laughs> platform. <laughs> come join Ed Green in his hermit cave. <laughs> you know there's no TV in the hermit cave. That's all right. All right, so what has been your biggest triumph as an editor working in the media industry? I feel like my biggest triumph is uh, probably just being able to work steadily and to build a base of people that I really enjoy working around. Okay. And to not hate what I do. Right. To, to actually, I, I still enjoy doing it. Yeah. I, I look forward to it. Um, you're in the field you wanted to be in as a little kid uh, in film school. Yeah. I mean, you made it. You, I mean, I'm you not. I'm not working in films. Right. But I'm okay with that. You know, I think there's a reason I work in this genre. I started off doing documentaries uh, in film school, mm-hmm. and so I've just been on that side of the fence this whole time. But I think I like the responsibility that documentaries and reality TV and those kind of things. Uh, non-scripted. I like, I like the burden that that puts on the editor. Right. It's a it's a big challenge. Right. And it's 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 constantly challenge. Every project I'm on is constantly uh, challenging me, and it's keeping me interested. And it's the days are going by quickly. Um, it's it's you know it's puzzle puzzle making every day. I go into work, and I, there's a puzzle to put together, and then at the end of the day, I have to have a puzzle put together. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I really enjoy that. Interesting. Now, we mentioned in the lead-in, you've been nominated for a couple of Emmy Awards. I have been nominated. Did I've, you? I've, I've been lucky enough to be in, on the right shows at the right time to right. get nominated. And that, that was pretty cool. Did you go to the Emmys? I did. We yeah. went We went a couple times. We now, was it the primetime big gala Emmys, or do they have that BS like midday lunch like the Oscars have for the other stuff? Is this the legit real Emmys? Well, what they do at the Emmys is they have what's called the Creative Arts Emmys okay. for all the behind-the-scenes people, and that's the week before. It's kind of the run-through. Okay. Uh, so it's basically the, the exact same ceremony at the same, oh, okay. p- same venue, same food. Yeah. So you go to that the week before, and you have the Creative Arts Emmys, and then the next week is the one that airs on TV. So fancy. So, And there, there's still like stars that show up for the Creative Arts. P- they present awards. And there's a few categories where they... I think it's like supporting actor and supporting actress mm-hmm. that are presented there, oh, wow. just to keep a little bit of the, of the, of the glamour right. in the creative arts part. Right. So we're all about authenticity. We can't ask about your greatest triumph without asking wi- about some disappointments. Hmm. Disappointments. There's been uh, there's been some shows that I really wanted to work on that I didn't get called for. Mm-hmm. 
there's been shows that I thought I would get asked back for that I didn't get asked back. Is there one white whale, anything that really got away that you wish you had been attached to? Not yet. Okay. You, there's not one that I turned down and then it ended up being like a huge hit. And, okay. And that hasn't happened yet. But yeah, you know, every there's ups and downs and it's always one of the issues with my job is I'm constantly having to make decisions mm-hmm. and having to plan ahead and figure out what my next job is going to be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then once you agree to that, you kind of stick to that. Right. Um, unless something really great comes along. And then you have to call these other people and say, well, I got a better offer, basically. <laughs> Usually people understand, but it's right. all, you've always got that in your head. And right. So sometimes I do think, wish I had said yes to that job. That would that'd be a fun job to work on. Yeah. I could have continued to work on Deadliest Catch. Right. Because you did that for a long time, I remember. I did that for a couple seasons. Yeah. Uh, and it was a great experience. I could have continued to work on it to this day, probably, if, they, if I didn't screw up. Did you and, ever get and I, seasick? I, po- I possibly could have won an Emmy because it wins every year, but I wasn't sure if, if that was the right thing for me to do. So, Did you ever get seasick watching that footage? <laughs> no. Huh. You're lucky I would have been thrown up all over <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> all right. Going forward, how do you define success for yourself? Uh, I think success is being happy with what you're doing and uh, being, a, being a blessing to those around you that you're working with making things better wherever you are, being a positive influence, not a negative influence. Um, so I hope I, c- I can remain youthful that way and that I can always bring some ideas and always be positive. Um, and so if I could keep doing that, that'll be great. I don't want to, I don't want to freeze up and become an old, an old grump. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it does happen with editors. I've seen some, some older editors who are just the grumpiest people in the world. Uh, and I think uh, part of that might be the editors who thought they were going to be directors. And maybe it didn't work out. Okay. That's uh, fair. Because a lot of editors are directors hmm. that, that are trying to pay the bills. Right. Um, but I, I genuinely love editing. I don't really have any interest in directing. And hmm. uh, so I just hope I can keep that fresh. If this hadn't worked out for you, what do you think you'd be doing? I have no idea. Because I, I think about that sometimes, and I just I can't imagine doing anything else really. Hmm. It just seems like such a it's such a job f- that suits my personality. Yeah, I, I'm kind of uh, I like to kind of work on things. One of the cool things about being an editor, I find, is that it's it's a collaboration, but you get a lot of time to yourself. Okay, you get a lot of time in the room by yourself to figure things out. Mm-hmm. And I love give being handed a challenge. I love when people come to me and they're like, we have this footage and it's awful or it's this camera wasn't turned on or we didn't even, we don't even have the microphone. The microphone wasn't even working for the scene, but we have to somehow make this make sense. Cause we like the rest of it and we want to keep this. Cause it's crucial. It's a crucial yeah. story point that right. the camera, I love things like that. Cause you, you have to really use your creativity right. to, to make things clear. It's, uh, you know, just to make the story play. So, uh, I like working by myself to to create things that I can then show to people at the end of the day. Hopefully they like it. What do you like to do for fun outside of work? I like to watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> my, f- <laughs> my favorite thing to do is uh, get in my pajamas at about 8 o'clock <laughs> with my wife, Sue, and we watch some great TV show that's scripted. Usually. Oh, you <laughs> mentioned uh, Close Encounters. Did you watch Stranger Things? You know... I 
I tried. You tried? I, I got, oh, I loved it. <laughs> it's one of those things. So many people have asked me if I've seen it. Right. I, and I feel like it's the kind of thing that was made for me to love. Right, right, right. That sometimes it's almost too... I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's like... Are you one of the detractors that was too derivative of the works that no, was trying to I don't honor? Mind, I don't mind people being derivative. Okay. Um, I just... I only... Uh, I only gave it a couple chances. I watched an e- I watched the first episode. I was like, okay. I watched half of the second episode. I was like, uh, two stars. You know, it, to me, it wasn't strange enough. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> like, and I asked my friends, I'm like, does it get stranger? <laughs> Not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, no. yeah. So. Yeah. I don't know. But I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the music. I enjoyed the you know the nostalgia of the look. I mean, it it looked like it was in that world. You know, it it didn't look like it was trying to be 1983. It looked like 1983. I mean, I was one year old, so I don't really remember right. about what I what I understand about it. It rem- uh, you know, it reminded me of Freaks and Geeks, right? Which people it's a beloved show. And to me, both of these shows they're loving homages to an era that perhaps the filmmaker wasn't even conscious of. I mean, I I feel like these guys are like were like babies when the 80s right. were around. So it's like a loving tribute. There's a lot of nostalgia going on, and I think that's nice. And I, if people like that, they like that. But it wasn't for you. It wasn't for me. The same reason Freaks and Geeks wasn't for me. I didn't think it was that funny. Okay. And I didn't think Stranger Things was that scary or weird or, you know, so. That's fair. So they they reminded me of each other. But I but I, I totally get it. Yeah. Like, I totally get why someone would love it. The music and the design and the font, that font that they used, it just it all it all worked together for me. It yeah. touched like everything. I will I will say it inspired me to go back and watch uh, some Joe Dante movies from the eighties and it inspired me to read another Stephen King novel. I read I read Needful Things. Okay. Yeah. It's one of the ones I skipped over. I've read most of his books, but I've skipped over he has some periods of things that I just completely didn't read. Mm-hmm. So I was inspired to read that as a result of Stranger Things. <laughs> Okay. So I, w- I read that recently. That was a that was a really good book. Okay. And maybe I will go back and watch Stranger Things. I maybe think. Maybe did you see episode three? Should I stick through episode? Episode three? three. The ending of episode three I thought was edited really well together. There's like two emotional climaxes occurring at the same time, set to um, that cover of We Could Be Heroes, and just the music is just overwhelming with emotion, and the two scenes that are unfolding simultaneously are very emotional and it's, it's, it's pretty powerful. So the ending of, even if you don't finish it up from there, the ending of episode three, I thought was really powerful. Okay. I'll, 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 I will do that for you. I'm going to watch because <laughs> you're not the only one. Okay. I'll, I mean, everyone, even my sister who's, you know, I, I was surprised that she was so into this because this feels like it was made directly from my, for me. I loved it. I would have watched a million episodes of it if there was a million of them. I will admit I wish it got a little stranger, but I think we're getting stranger in uh, season two. That's what I understand. I think maybe if Sue watches it with me. That's the problem. If if Sue's not into it, it's hard for me to watch it. Right. And that was the same thing with Amanda. I was trying to... I watched episodes one and, one and two by myself and it was like, okay, there's a little horror. Like I don't know if she's going to be able to handle this or not. And I got all the way through the end by myself and then I went back with her and watched the whole thing again. So, uh, okay. no, I loved it. I loved it. If you go back to the start of your journey, anything you tell yourself? Oh, that's a that's a that's a deep question. Either yourself or any words of advice for someone starting down this path, but you know specifically in light of what you've learned in your 
you know, 15, 20 years doing this. Yes. Uh, get specific. If you go to film school, art school, figure out exactly what you like doing. And, and just go, go, go full force. Um, I was just, I'm very, I'm very thankful that I, I figured out the editing, that, mm -hmm. I, that I, that's what I love doing. And as soon as I figured that out, I just went full force with the editing. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think, I think that's a good thing for people up and coming to, to think about is just, you know, people are like, I want to do this and I want to do that. Just focus in, like try a bunch of different things. Uh, I, I had to try a lot of different things. I didn't like a lot of things um, that I thought I was going to like. Yeah, you kind of find out what you're wired for as you go through your career and yes. as it unfolds. And the, you know, your dreams may or may not end up being what you thought it would be, you know. And there's tons of people that get in, go want to be lawyers when they grow up, go to law school, come out, start being a lawyer and hate it, you know, or mm -hmm. same thing with doctors or teachers. You know, there's, you don't really know what your dream is actually going to look like day to day until you start doing it. So that's, um, that's good advice to kind of really try to hone in on what it is you think you really enjoy. So you mentioned this uh, secret cult project you're working on. Um, anything you can tell us, you know, maybe when or where to look for it or anything you can say? It's supposed to come out the end of November on a basic cable. Okay. So it should so be easy for people to find. It should be pretty easy. Okay. If they, if they, if they like the show and promote it, which I hope they do, because okay. that, that's always a big issue. Uh, you, can, you could work on a show for a network and they decide at the last minute that they don't like the show and they, they decide not to market it. Right. And it, it just gets buried. So I'm hoping this is one of those shows where they believe in it and they promote it and people will know about it. From that point, do they have the right to bury it? Do they own it? Or are the production company, are they free to shop it to another network? How does that work? At that point, it's pretty much the network. Okay. Yeah. They, they, have, they can they Because they funded it. it or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So. Interesting. But no, this is really interesting. I mean, I don't think a lot of people know stuff like that. Like the thing about the network being able to bury it or, you know, they picture editors as being that guy in the back with the scissors cutting the film together. But hearing you talk about your responsibility to help craft the story, especially in reality, where it is sort of a documentary of, you know, what actually happened. I mean, I, I would say you're almost more important than the director on set who's just saying, yeah, start, stop. No, let's do that again. You know, you're kind of helping craft the narrative and put everything together to the final product. That I, think that I hope this is really illuminating for people because I, I think that's really interesting. Well, you can say that. I'm not going to say that. Because <laughs> I'll tell you, some of the shows I work on, the people that go out in the field, they, uh, they don't come back because it's brutal. Right. I mean, they go out uh, on boats or they're, they're, they're in ice. Uh, oh, man. So those guys really work hard, you know, 18, 20 hours a day. So uh, thank goodness somebody does that or we wouldn't have footage. No, you're absolutely right. I, I, I hadn't really thought about that. All right. This has been really fun, Ed. Uh, again, you can find Ed the Editor at imdb.me slash Ed the Editor. Uh, Ed Green, keep an eye out for a cult reality show on cable towards the end of November. Uh, if two or three of them drop at once, that's the, he's the one that says Ed Green at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this has been the Maslow Peak Podcast presented by Spring State Media Group. Our producer is Jesse Edmond. You can find us on the web at themaslowpeak.com where you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play Music, or SoundCloud. You can also check out our Instagram at themaslowpeak for behind-the-scenes details. Like us on Facebook at themaslowpeak. And if you can reach us on Twitter, 
Uh, you can mention any comments, snide remarks, uh, suggestions, anyone you know that you'd like to have on the show. Uh, feel free to reach out for us there. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.